You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Rated PG-13. <laughs> Empire. Hello and welcome to my podcast. Today, I'm joined by a special guest, former Washington defensive lineman Chris Swaggy Baker. Always a fun interview when he played here, and that remains true today. I appreciated him sharing both the good and the bad of what he's been through since leaving the NFL, from starting his own trucking company to catching COVID after a night out with Kevin Durant and Von Miller, to his battle with congestive heart failure, which may have stemmed from that and struggling to adjust to a post-NFL life. Plus, there were always whispers about him being lazy or not motivated. He addresses those too and says it was all about undisclosed injuries and nothing more. It was good, folks. You can follow Chris on Twitter at cbaggerswaggy, and you can read my work on ESPN.com. I'll have a story up Friday about Washington's receiver options in free agency and even the draft. I also talked to a handful of agents who represent receivers and ask them, how much does a team's quarterback situation matter to a free agent receiver? For some, it was all about the cash. You only get so many years in this league, so you're not turning down a chance to play somewhere for a lot of money just because of the quarterback situation. You don't know when your, your career is going to end, so grab it while you can. For others, it definitely mattered, and it kind of depends on the situation they were in. And I'll explain that more in the story. Um, and then for others, you know, I talked to another agent who said it simply depends on the guy himself. But then we started talking about this team's quarterback situation. And it's clear there are some quarterbacks that might be available that this guy would not want his player to play with. Before we get to my conversation with Swaggy, I did want to touch on the Alex Smith situation about his comments to GQ magazine. And if you haven't seen them, go look at them. I'm sure you have. But anyways, I've told you before and in recent podcasts, I wondered if he wanted to continue playing here. Now I think you understand why I was asking that question. I'd heard of the frustration, but I was also never told that he didn't want to keep playing here if the team was going to want to keep him. And obviously he's still on the roster, but we'll see how long that lasts. Anyways, that's why I could could only wonder. But I knew he wasn't thrilled with, with how this summer transpired for him and how they almost put him on IR to open the season, and how how hard he had to fight to convince them to give him a chance in 11-on-11 drills and then to keep him on the roster because, in his his mind, he wasn't hurt. So why should he be on IR? You either can play or you can't. And if they had put him on IR at that point, it would have prevented him from playing at all this past season. I don't think Ron Rivera's comments about Kyle Allen late in the season, how the team would have fared just as well with him at quarterback, sat well with Smith. I think there may have been some other things, too, that rubbed him a little the wrong way. Now, this is his perception. I'm not saying he's right or wrong on it. I'm just saying I think that's some of what was going on. He's an, uh, he is the ultimate competitor, so you've, you've got to get into their mindset. Again, I don't think it rose to the level of him not wanting to come back, but sharing these thoughts makes it clear to me that a parting the ways will soon happen. Smith is a smart guy and understands how his words would be interpreted. 
I don't think the coaching staff appreciated all this because in truth, they were put in a tough situation. After the documentary, I had people here who told me they didn't think any doctor would clear them after watching that. That was the thinking, and it wasn't just among coaches. Then, before training camp, I did hear they weren't really planning on him because, to be honest, who was outside of Smith himself? I know some close to him wondered if he'd be able to play even after he returned to practice. So it wasn't just the coaches. And here's what Rivera knew at the time. And I'm not trying to make excuses for him, but I do think that this is a tough situation for all involved. And I think they have very different viewpoints or coming at it from such a different viewpoint. And I think both sides, like I can understand why Smith feels the way he did, but I can also understand the other side too, because I think it was such a unique situation. Anyways, at the time, Rivera knew it was figured, anticipated going into the season, it was going to be a rebuilding year. And here you have a 35-year-old quarterback coming off 17 surgeries, trying to make some miraculous comeback. Forget how it turned out. What would you think at the time? Listen, if his salary cap situation, if the money wouldn't have been so bad, he'd have been cut. Um, Also, would you want to be the coach who has to make a decision as to whether or not Smith plays and then live with the consequences if he gets hurt again, if he hurts that same leg? Look at the RG3 situation from the Seattle playoff game. Who gets blamed for him getting hurt versus Seattle? Mike Shanahan. RG3 said he was fine, said he wanted to stay in. The doctor said he was okay. But I'm guessing that 90% of the fans would blame Shanahan for how that turned out. And even Shanahan said he wishes he had taken him out. But again, the coaches have to live with that. This staff barely knew Alex Smith. There were no OTAs or minicamps to see what he could do on the field to form an impression of what might be possible going into camp or to really get to know him. It was a bad spot to be in. And for Smith, the ultimate competitor, All he wanted was a chance, and who can blame him for that, too? I mean, my God, look what he went through to earn that opportunity. He worked his rear end off to get one. It's easy to look in hindsight and wonder how could they have doubted him. But you can't do that in this case because how many people were questioning him when he went in the game against the Rams? You have to think in the moment, in the moment, many how many people truly felt he'd return. How many cringed every time he got hit and feared for his safety? His family did. Imagine being the person responsible if he got hurt, for, responsible for him going in the game. The other truth is, again, had Smith's cap hit been less, then I don't think he's even on the roster this season. And nobody told me that. I just think it's, it's common sense. The funny thing is, Smith did save this season. Had they put him on IR and lost Kyle Allen to injury after benching Dwayne Haskins, they'd have to have gone back to Dwayne Haskins or use Steven Montez. Think of how poorly the season would have turned out in that situation. Everyone benefited by Smith finally getting that chance, and it was a return that was worthy of celebration, and Smith has deserved all the kudos he gets. Again, look beyond the stats, and people who just focus on the stats, I think you're, you're really aren't focusing on what really happened here and, and how much he meant to this team and the players. I mean, you heard it from one player after another, and you heard it in 2018 as well after he got hurt then. So we, you know, there were, again, a return worth celebrating. The season, the way it went down the stretch, worth celebrating. But it does appear that the reunion will have lasted only one season. Nothing official at that point, but I think, you know, we'll see how this goes. But I think we can all see where it's going. Anyway, that's it from me. After this break, I'll be back with former Washington defensive lineman Chris Baker. Why did people consider him lazy? Welcome back. Now here's my conversation with Chris Swaggy Baker. And now I'm 
Swaggy, I'm thrilled to have you on because I always enjoyed talking to you, your personality, the nickname. Um, so first of all, just update people what's going on with with Chris Baker right now. What are you up to? Man, I'm um, just enjoying this next phase of life, you know, after football, just uh, trying to become a normal person in a sense. Um, I have a trucking company here in Connecticut, so I've just been here just uh, getting that off the ground and I've just been in, enjoying uh, being able to come to work and run my own business. What is it that you, what, what, what trucking company, what are you doing with that and, and why did you want to go that way? Um, well, I got into trucking while I was still playing um, and it was very lucrative. Um, so I kind of wanted to get into a profession where I could uh, still make the kind of money that I was accustomed to making in, in the NFL. And uh, with trucking, man, it's, it's just been amazing. And, um, and I've, I've just been here really learning the ins and outs of my own business and just being able to be my own CEO and, and, and put things in place the way I want it uh, to happen. And it's been a quite success. So the trucking, it had nothing to do with you trucking Nick Foles back in the day? No, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> but so are you are you like when did you get involved in that and are you pretty happy with how it's been going for you with that? Um, yeah, um, I got involved with it about uh, 2015, I'll say, or 2016. Okay. Um, and um, at first, um, things were going um, pretty good, and then just when you get into a business and you're not running it yourself, you know, certain problems come up. And um, at the beginning of uh, my career in trucking, uh, things went well for like the first six months. And then after that, um, the trucks that I bought probably weren't the best decisions to buy. And I started running into uh, mechanical issues. And uh, if you ever dealt with a truck, like a normal problem could cost you like $5,000. You know oh, what yeah. I mean? And so those problems kept happening and, um, the business account started to get depleted and the relationships that we have built with the, um, the other companies like Amazon, um, because we didn't have things in place with our own drivers, things didn't go as well. So um, after I was done playing, I was able to come here and just implement my own system, my own set of rules that I want the drivers to adhere by. And um, it's, it's been going good because not only do I have on the trucks um, on the road. I also have a brokerage company. So now I could broker for um, really other people nationwide. Are you based up in Connecticut? Yes. You you also look like a smaller man. <laughs> a little bit, man. I'm like uh, 290 now. <laughs> really? When's the last time you were yeah. at 290? Uh, when I went to Penn State, probably. Um, <laughs> I got to Penn State at like 330, 340, and they made me lose all this weight. And I got down to, I think, 280, 285. But that was the last time I seen those numbers on the scale. And how, how do you feel? I mean, you, and why did you want to get down there? It really wasn't something I was trying to do. The weight just kind of fell off, especially, you know, living in Tampa. It's pretty hot there. So <laughs> just being outside and playing with my kids just started just losing weight. Um, um, but nothing in particular that, you know, made me get down in weight. I've been dealing with a little bit of health issues. Um, I had COVID um, when it first came out. Um, I think I got it from either Kevin Durant or um, or Von Miller. I had ran into those guys down in Miami. And um, a couple of days later, it was breaking news that both of them had COVID. And then I went home uh, a couple of days later and started feeling sick. And um, back when I had uh, got COVID, 
um, this was like in February, probably. Um, there were no COVID tests in Florida. So oh. they just pretty much uh, sent me home with some antibiotics and told me to quarantine. And then around September, I started noticing that my breathing was off. And I, I thought it was maybe just a change of climate from coming from Tampa and going to Connecticut. So I started using my asthma pump and things got progressively worse. And I went home uh, to Florida to see my kids and stuff. And I went home to vote. And the night before um, I could vote, um, my breathing was just so bad. So I went to the hospital, I had my friend bring me to the hospital and they started running all these tests because I couldn't breathe and I couldn't figure out what the heck the problem was. And they wound up diagnosing me with congestive heart failure. And, I, and so I was like in complete shock, like how can you know a perfectly healthy person um, all of a sudden have congestive heart failure um, out of nowhere? And um, a lot of the medical experts has, has been saying um, they've been seeing this in a lot of uh, people who had COVID previously and then four or five months later, they come to the hospital with some type of congestive heart failure or some type of heart issue. So I've been dealing with that, had to change my diet to a, a low sodium diet and just, just get a lot healthier. But I think things are taking a turn for the good and I'm starting to feel like my normal self again. So, so that was in September and you're only now starting to feel a little bit normal? I started feeling um, better after they started giving me medications and I really started changing my diet, getting that salt out, uh, out of my diet. Um, as much as possible. I started juicing a lot and um, I've been doing cardiac rehab, going to the medical center and rehabbing with all the old folks. So those are the only ones that have all the heart issues and stuff. But um, it's definitely been an adjustment, but um, you know, I got to do what I have to do to stay alive. And I, I like the, the lifestyle change that I've um, had. That's that's a lot to deal with, man. And But I, I guess we'll go back to you ran into Durant and Von Miller. So I, did you already know Von Miller? Did you know Kevin Durant already? Or what, how did that come well, about? Well, I knew of those guys. Um, Kevin was also, you know, a big Redskins fan. So he came right. to a couple of our games. Up, meet him and talk to him. And then I ran into him um, at a couple uh, clubs in D.C. So, you know, we got a chance to talk, and um, he was obviously a fan of the Washington Redskins and knew who I was, so that was a great feeling. And then Von Miller, you know, I played um, against him a few right. times. I played with the Broncos. That was the first team I played for, so we had a, a little bit of a connection. And so I was able to talk and, you know, just say what's up while I was in the club. But, you know, with COVID, as long as you have some type of interaction with no face mask, right? obviously uh, contracted and, in Florida, there was really no uh, regulations for masks. So um, when we did go out, you know, it wasn't like people was in masks at that time. So it was probably easy to catch it, and I got it. <laughs> so was that last spring you, you ran into them? Yeah, it was last spring. I, I believe Kevin was still um, rehabbing from his Achilles injury, so he was staying at a, a hotel down in Miami, and that's where we ran into each other. Yeah, and yeah, no, man, that's, but it's crazy how, how people can get those issues months and months later with this. I think that's always the scary part about this whole situation is that you don't know how it's going to affect you down the road. I mean, could you imagine it being able, like, there are guys who played this year after having gotten it. Could you imagine playing a game a few weeks after you contracted um, it? After going, through, after going through what I went through, um, you know, I just don't know every person is different. Everyone's body acts, um, reacts to the disease differently. Um, um, but like 
after I did the quarantine, I felt like my normal self, you know, I was okay. going back out and out doing what I, I, I would normally do. So I really didn't have any lingering effects. Um, it just didn't happen until like four or five months later where it was like, oh, something's not, something ain't right. And when I saw like the guys in the NFL, NBA and other professional sports catch it, um, I always like that stuff was like in the back of my mind, like how are these guys going to respond, you know, a couple of months later because of, of, of what happened to me and being, I was still in good shape to play on the team. Right. Um, I'm still like one of those guys, you know what I mean? So it'd be interesting to see, you know, what happens to those guys. Like I remember watching the playoffs and everyone kept talking about Miles Garrett having COVID. And then when he came um, back after COVID, he didn't seem like himself. And I, I was just thinking to myself, like, man, he probably got some lingering issues that no one would even be checking into because he's playing football and he could still get on the field and do what he has to do. But, um, you know, hopefully um, people like him and others who caught it don't have any lingering effects, but you just never know until it happens. No, no, you don't. And you're right. I think watching him, you could tell that there was something different with him. And that's it's it's hard because it's not like if you're coming back from a certain injuries, you might see the guy limping. So it reminds you that. But with with something like that, like or with a head injury, you never know how it is, how it is affecting somebody's play. You know, it's just it's kind of weird. Yeah, it's definitely weird. you just always heard the commentator saying, oh, he looks gas. He, he's not the, the same Miles Garrett that we're accustomed to seeing. But you just never know what someone is dealing with um, on a personal level um, after COVID. So it, switching gears a little bit here. How do you look back on your career? You know, I love it. You know, I've always, you know, had you know certain doubts and questions because I always felt like I had the talent to play ever since I came in as an undrafted free agent. Um, but being an undrafted free agent, coaches don't really give you an opportunity per se, like a draft pick and more so of trying to give you an opportunity to play. They're trying to find a reason to cut you. And so I had to deal with that aspect um, my first few years. Um, um, as a rookie, I made it as an undrafted free agent on the Denver Broncos, but I only wound up playing in one game. Um, my second year, I went to Miami. Um, I got there around October and I started on their practice squad and uh, they activated me after a couple of weeks and I only played in one game there. And then um, the NFL lockout happened and I had surgery on my left knee, scope surgery, and Miami released me after rehabbing for a couple of weeks. Um, then I got to Washington. Um, and when I got to Washington, I was on practice squad and, you know, I really wasn't accustomed to being on practice squad. So it was a struggle because I'm like, yo, I know I have the ability to play. Why am I not given the opportunity, especially when I did have a preseason? I would I would show out in my preseason games and I, I felt like I practiced well. Um, but then in Washington, I kept going to Coach Shanahan like, hey, when are you going to activate me? When are you going to activate me? And I went there so much. My defensive line coach, Coach Bernie, was like, stay out of Shanahan's office before you piss him off because once you piss him off, you're not getting on his good side again. So, you know, I stopped asking when I was going to get activated. And then we were getting ready to play New England, and I got activated that week. And this was before we had the bubble. And we was practicing in the gym, and everybody was, you know, doing their dunk dunk moves and stuff. So me being young and immature, I'm like, hey, let me show you guys I can dunk too. And I went and tried to dunk a basketball and tore my quad the, the next day. Uh. And um, I rehabbed from that. 
then came back the next offseason and I was battling for the backup position behind uh, Barry Cofield, me and Chris Neal. And uh, I just had a tremendous camp and I finally got an opportunity to play as a backup uh, nose tackle. And the more opportunities I got, you know, the better, the better I, I played. And um, after a while, they started moving me to defensive end and nose mm -hmm. tackle. And from that point on, I just established myself as a good player. And even when I uh, had my breakout year, and I believe in 2016 or 2015, right. um, I was still dealing with the same, you know, BS, you know, I felt like, because they brought in Steven Paya and they had us competing um, all year during camp. They kind of like made it me versus him who's going to start. And I felt like I outplayed him in the preseason. I played him in practice and I played him in every game or situation that we had. And for some reason, I didn't start at the beginning of the year. And after uh, three weeks of that, I kind of went to Gruden like, bro, like you had this conversation that you're going to put the best 11 on the field um, at, at, at a time every time we go out there and play. And I feel like I'm one of the best 11 on this team. Why am I not playing? Why am I not starting? Because I, I wasn't starting, but I wind up playing more than right. the starters. So I was like, this doesn't make sense to me. And um, my first game that he said I can start um, was uh, against the Eagles. And I had a two-sack performance then. And then the rest of the year was just which is great. <laughs> yeah, and I, yeah, because Paya really didn't do didn't do what they had hoped he would do, I think, when they signed him, in all honesty. Right, right. Right, without a question, I felt like us as players, because we had a, a pretty uh, veteran room, um, and we had a first-year defensive line coach. It was, it was, it was awkward because all the guys who know football and saw it was like, yo, there's, there's no reason why you're not starting. Why you're not starting? No one can answer. It. You know what I mean? No one can give me a, de a, a defiant answer. I'm like, this is why you're not starting. It was just, I guess, they paid him a free agency, so they had to play him, but you know. My, my, my play on the field and that practice, you know, I felt like it spoke for itself. And once I finally got the opportunity, I, you know, it, um, I took off running with it. And uh, the next year, which was my final year in Washington, it was kind of like my first time, like really being a, a full, full-time starter. And a lot of people don't understand, like, uh, when you play uh, 60, 70, 80 plays a game, the impact that it has on your body is like a lot different. Mm. You know what I mean? And my whole career, I was always a rotational guy. I I, I would play like 50, 50 plays um, every other week or something like that. But when it became a constant where I was playing 70, 80 plays a week, my body was going through stuff that I wasn't accustomed to. And my last year in Washington, I felt like um, me and the coaches had butted heads because I kept explaining them, explaining to them like the injuries that I was dealing with. And it was like, no, everyone was treating me as if I was like the practice squad, Chris Baker. It was like, well, just go out there and practice and just get through it. But I was like, bro, like I, both of my ankles are hurting, both of my knees are hurting, both of my elbows are hurting. And it was like, no one was paying attention to it. And they just kept trying to force me to practice. So after the game in London, um, I had a really good game there there in London and I got back, I mean, both of my knees had swelled up, both of my ankles and my elbows had swelled up. And the following week after we had like a mini body, they were still trying to get me to practice. So I just had to do what I had to do as a person. I was like, I'm not gonna allow them 
to keep forcing me to practice and then play 80, 70, 80 plays on Sunday because we get paid to play. We don't really get paid to practice. So from from the second half of the year, I, I pretty much set my own practice schedule where I, I didn't practice on Wednesday and Thursday and I practiced on Friday. And then going into free agency, um, everyone was saying, hey, this is this guy doesn't like to practice. He's lazy. He's doing this, that, and the third. I'm like, that's completely not the case. You know what I mean? I just had to do what I felt was best for me to stay healthy and be able to, you know, be a normal person and play, you know? Um, it's even hard to even skip those days of practice and still compete at a high level. I would go into the games and, you know, my body would be sore, but after you take some Toradol and, you know, you, you do whatever you have to do as far as dry needling and stretching and the massages, you know, I was good to go on Sundays, but Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, like it was like, it was so hard to operate. And um, when I went into free agency, um, this is why I really didn't enjoy my time in Tampa. You know, I, I was, I think top two in defensive ends um, that, that off season. I think the only person who was rated higher than me at defensive end was uh, Calais Campbell. And, you know, he signed for like 70, 80 million. And then the contract that I got from Tampa, um, was basically the same thing I got from Washington before I even started, you know what I mean? So I was like, I was completely like fabricated by that. I was like, like, how, how is this possible? Like I'm 29 years old. I don't really have a lot of miles on my body. Why, why am I not getting the same amount of money that these other free agents are getting? And when I went down to Tampa um, and I was still dealing with lingering issues, um, lingering injuries from um, Washington but obviously I wasn't going to go to Tampa. And when I had my physical, I wasn't going to tell them that, Hey, my knee hurt or this hurt. If they found right. them, they found them. But then if they didn't, I wasn't going to tell them. So when I got to Tampa, you know, I passed the physical, they signed me on a contract. And then we started the off season. And once we started the off season, I was, I was doing the sprints and I was actually trying to like get on in the front of the line, but I, I couldn't get that second gear. Like my knees were hurting so bad. You know what I mean? And I was in the back with with big silver and silver's like 350, 360 pounds. And I'm like, there's no reason why me and him are finishing at the same time. Like I know I'm faster than this. I know I could, you know, pull faster than this. So I went to the trainers and I, I kept complaining about these knee issues. And they they're telling me, oh, it's um tendonitis, it's tendonitis. So I'm like, I've dealt with tendonitis. This is something more, you know what I mean? Um, I need to get an MRI. And for whatever reason, it took them forever to get me an MRI. And so I like during the, the, the voluntary um, period um, in the off season, um, I stopped coming. I was like, if I don't get no MRI, I'm not coming to practice. So I missed like two weeks of, of voluntary um, workouts. And then they finally gave me an MRI once I got the MRI, I'm asking them for the results. And they're like, oh, the results is uh, consistent with tendonitis. We're going to do this, that, and the third. Um, we're going to continue to get treatment and give you anti-inflammatories. But I said, yo, something's not right. So I sent those same results to a doctor in uh, Colorado who does um, stem cells. Because mm. I already did like PRP and that really didn't work. So I, I, I was like, I need to try something different because something's not right. So I sent the same MRIs that the team had in Tampa to um, the doctor in uh, Colorado. And he reads the same MRIs and tell me I got like three different things wrong with each knee. Hmm. And I'm like, what the hell? Like I was, I was hot, you know what I mean? And 
so I really didn't trust the uh, Tampa um, medical people. And even when um, I put those two doctors in contact with each other, um, it was almost like the Tampa trainers felt like I was disrespecting them. So they was kind of acting funny towards the other doctor. And when the doctor explained how the stem cell procedure works, he, he explained that it's going to be a six week progress. I mean, it's going to be a six, uh, a six week um, rehab after um, I get the stem cell done. And if you get stem cell done in your knees, I got it done on my knees and both of my toes. Um, there's no, um, I couldn't do cardio. I couldn't run. I couldn't right. like. I couldn't ride. I couldn't ride the bike. So instead of them letting me go in the middle of the off season to get the stem cell done so I could be ready for camp, they made me wait until after mini camp to get it done. So when mini camp is over, we only get like four weeks right. to um, to train and get back for training camp. And so I went and got this stem cell done in Colorado. I came back. I I, I did. The only thing I could do was like I did some upper body stuff, but I never ran. I never did any cardio. I didn't do anything. So I show up for camp. Um, it's it's like week four within my recovery process, and it's still, I still I'm still supposed to have two weeks of just doing nothing. I show up for camp, thinking that I'm about to rehab and get myself in shape and get ready for the season, and they tell me I'm limited. So I'm out there just doing like two plays a period. And, but I'm not, I'm in no kind of shape. You know, I, I've had right. ran the whole off season. So I was huge. I was like 330, 335 um, with two aching knees. You know what I mean? And, and, and like, I never uh, got to the point where I felt like I was Chris Baker of the Washington Redskins. You know what I mean? At, at that time. Um, and, and then that whole year was just a failure for me because anybody knows, um, the way I played, that was not um, the Chris Baker that I've I, I've shown in the league. You know what I mean? But I've never, I, I didn't have an off season. I never got myself in the shape, the kind of shape that I know I will always be in going into a season, especially as an undrafted free agent. I took pride in having to be in good shape because I knew if I wasn't in good shape, being an undrafted guy, they'd get rid of me. So you know, going to Tampa, you know, it was it was it was hard for me, and and I struggled that whole year just mentally, like. I can't believe that these guys play me. And it's like some of the guys look at is looking at me in the locker room like, why the hell you only could do two or three plays? Like, are, are you lazy? Or but I'm I don't want to have to explain to them, yo, my knees is messed up and the, the, I don't want to keep explaining like what happened with the training system over and over and over. So I kind of just got through the year and I did the best that I could. But um at that point in my career. Even when I was in Washington, I tried to do everything in my power not to play nose tackle anymore. <laughs> and when I got to Tampa, they, they made me a, a first down nose player. And I was like, I thought I came here to rush with Gerald McCoy. And I wasn't even on the, the nickel packages that much. I, I, I just felt like that year was wasted. And I, ever since then, that was like my last uh, hoorah um, being in the NFL. And, and that's, you know, it's funny you brought up because, like, there's a lot of stuff that wasn't known about that. And all you heard as well, his motivation is low. That, you know what I mean? Yeah. That's what you would hear. Yeah, everybody was like, oh, he got some money and then he shut it down. I'm like, bro, I didn't get that much money. Like, I, I made more money not starting than I did going into free agency for the first time at 29 years old. You know what I mean? So it, it wasn't about the money. You know what I mean? I was literally hurt and no one wanted to hear it. And then 
after uh, leaving Washington and not practicing because of my injuries and then going to Tampa and kind of having the same uh, the same thing happen where it's like, yo, I can't do this type of stuff or I can't do this amount of plays because it was like I would go out there, I, I would warm up, I will do everything I got to do, and then it's just one step the wrong way, my knee will be hurting and then it just swell up on me. You know what I mean? Mm. So I'm, I do like one or two periods and I'm like hurt. You know what I mean? I'm just kind of going through the motions. And it's not, it's not from, um, hey, I'm lazy or I don't want to do this. So, like, my body was hurting. That's all I could do. You know what I mean? So that part, like, the way my career ended, um, it, it sucks for me because I know um, I could put a better foot forward if I was healthy. But, you know, that's just the business of the NFL sometimes. And, you know, you, you got to give your credit to the guys who are able to uh, play 60 70 80 90 plays uh year after year and um and stay healthy because it's it's, it's really hard you know especially yeah. as an undrafted guy and not really playing as much you always play hey i want to play i want to play i want to play and then i finally started playing and then my body started hurting you know yeah. I mean? it's like <laughs> it's a fine it's a fine wager well how, how, how are your knees now i mean are they do you have any residuals from all that i'm pretty sure i do you know the fact that i'm not playing you know i could walk around and i'll be fine but like just being in my car sometimes you know my or just walking around sometimes you know my ankle be hurting my ankle just swell up out of nowhere for no reason um my knees get a little sore especially being in a car for a long time um but that's just kind of the life of being an nfl player you're going to deal with that kind of stuff so um hopefully i'll be able to uh have a normal life you know uh, a few years from now but uh you know, you just got to live and wait and see what happens. And I hate to tell you, man, as you get older, it just gets worse with the knees. Because I just had knee surgery in the spring because, like, the knee, the, the meniscus was shredded, the doctor told me. So, and it's like, you know, you try to figure out, well, at least you know why your knees are bad. I mean, mine, like, you know, it just gets old. And it's like, it just went, you know. So, you know, but it's – so I hope that you don't have to deal with more of that as, as you get – as you – as you continue to get older. So, but it is like, it's always going to, you know, you always hear with players just how hard it is to deal with all the, the impact that you put your body through. Definitely. You know, and, and a lot of players always talk about the injuries and stuff, but one of the biggest thing has been like the mental aspect of just not playing. Um, that's been like a big strain for myself and like a lot of players. Cause it's just like, you went from high school to college to your whole adult life playing football. And now that you're done, it's like, what do I do? You right. Know I mean? so the mental aspect of not playing and the mental aspect of not being, hey, I'm Chris Baker from the Washington Redskins. I'm just Chris Baker. It, it takes a toll on you. You know what I mean? It's almost like, oh, you want to play no more? You know what I mean? So. Right. I can't imagine that. That has to be like, how do you deal with, like, how have you had to deal with that? I mean, did you, do you talk to people? Do you, do you, how do you work through that? Oh, well, I, I think I need to go talk to someone, but it's always like a struggle to admit that you need to go get counsel. Sure. Um, but I think at this point in my life, um, that's something I'm definitely interested in doing. It's just a matter of actually going and do it. But it's been it's been tough. But thank God I have, you know, like a lot of people don't even have a, a company or something to fall back on or sure. something and busy. Um, so thank God, you know, I do have a company um, that kind of keeps me busy and I'm able to um, put my efforts into something each and every day instead of just staying home, enjoying my money and not doing anything. You know? Well, what, What's the part that's hardest? Is it is it the identity? Is it the locker room? Is it the games? What's the hardest part to deal with? And when does it hit you the hardest? 
Um, the hardest part is just, um, I feel like just people just not knowing you as Chris Baker, the football player, because mm. that's all people knew, you know what I mean? So it's like, when I introduce myself, it's kind of like, what do I say? Like, I'm Chris Baker uh, that has a trucking company, but I, <laughs> I, I know like normal people don't even introduce themselves as someone, hey, I'm such and such, and this is what I do for a living, but that's kind of how I've learned to introduce myself being from, you know, Chris Baker, the guy that went to Penn State, or Chris right. Baker, the guy that went to um, Chris Baker from the Washington Redskins. So uh, that 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 football tag always followed who I was, you know what I mean? So um, it's, it's just weird, you know what I mean? And, like, you just got to get used to just being a normal person. Like, every day your day was structured. Uh, you knew – at seven in the morning to from, from seven to four or five o'clock, you knew kind of what you was going to do each and every day. And then you go to not having no schedule at all. It's like, what do I do? You know what I mean? So um, just finding something to keep you busy, whether it's working now, uh, running your own business, that's like the best thing I can do as a former football player or just as a person in general, uh, just to keep my mind away from, me not being able to play football again because in my mind I still felt like I can play you know what I mean I just needed a chance to heal right and once I got a chance to heal then I could be back to the person that I could um that I know I can be but it just I just never had that opportunity to just really just sit back in the offseason and heal it was like all right I left Tampa then I went to Cincinnati but I still never had that healing period so even when I started in Cincinnati I was still dealing with the lingering interest um issues from Tampa but it was kind of like, hey, this is your last straw. So I can't even go to Cincinnati like, yo, I'm not about to do this. I'm not about to do this. I just kind of just had to do it because now the last two years, everyone says, oh, Chris Baker doesn't like to practice. He doesn't like to do this. You know, but it's, it's not that I don't like to. I was on practice squad. That's all I could do. Right. So, you know, so like, But if my body is hurting, there's only much that I can do. You know what I mean? So it's it's a fine line. And, yeah. you know, I hate the way things end it, but I'm still proud of my career. Um, to be an undrafted free agent and work myself to the point where I could win uh, team MVP uh, of the Redskins, you know, that, that's a huge accomplishment for myself. So, you know, I, I can't complain about it. No, it, it's it's a lot better than a lot of guys get. But it is like but it is right. like everything's relative. Because once you start hitting, climbing those plateaus, you always want a little, to do a little bit better. When did you, like, is it hard to watch games? Do you watch games now? I watch games now, but the first two years, it was like, I don't even want to watch it because I'm sitting here watching guys who are my age and I felt like they weren't even as good as me and they're still playing and getting an opportunity. And I'm like, like how's, how does this guy have a job and I'm sitting at home? You know what I mean? So right. it, was, it was a struggle for me to uh, watch the games for a while. Um, and uh, I think after like year two, I was able to really enjoy just watching the game again and being a, a Washington football fan again, you know what I mean? Because I just had so much resentment with Washington because I gave them all I had. And then when it came time to really take care of me in free agency, they didn't even offer me. And I was like, I was a good community guy. I, I never had any issues all, off the field. Like, how did everything just go so sorry when it was time to pay me? You know, I was a good guy all of them like all the way until it was free agency time, you know what I mean? So yeah. um, I, I, I resented uh, looking at Washington for a while, but, you know, 
that's where I kind of like build my brand. So, you know, I, I'm always going to root for them. You know, even now I root for Chase and he went to Ohio State and he had my defensive line coach, Coach Johnson. So, you know. Yeah, that's right. I'm definitely a huge fan of his and, and Terry McCollin. And I even like Heineken or whatever his name is. <laughs> <laughs> the, guy who, <laughs> the guy who came in during the playoffs. Yeah. You know, so I'm a big fan of the guys. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm always rooting for him. Um, I won a couple of dollars back my friends against them against Pittsburgh. So, you know, really, I can't, I can't complain. Washington. Yeah. How, you know, how much was a couple of dollars? Good. But you're still getting paid by that. That's good. Did, what did you think of Chase? What did you think of Chase? I thought he was great. He's, he's one of the uh, best rookies I've seen. Uh, just not. Um, when it comes to his play, it's his leadership. Um, right. I've never really rookie come in and take command of a team uh, the way that he did in Washington. You could just tell that everything kind of ran through him. Um, he was one of those guys who don't get tired. Like, you watching a game, I'm like, bro, why he not sitting down getting some rest? He up watching the game, running on the field for the offense. I'm like, bro, this guy is crazy. But, like, everyone loves him. Everyone yeah. is looking to him. He's always inspiring guys. You always see him talking, getting other guys hyped. He's, he's, he's happy for other people's success. And when he has his success, people are happy for him. And guys just gravitate to him. And that's all you keep hearing in the media, too, is how much of a leader the guy is. So it's been it's been fun watching him. And it's going to be fun seeing his development. And I'm glad he's able to learn from a guy like Kerrigan, who's the ultimate profession and was one of the, the, the greatest guys uh, in Washington history. And for you to come in as a rookie and, and, and get that kind of um, – uh, leadership and be able to learn from a guy like that, you know, you have no choice but to be successful. Who was the best teammate you played with? I had a lot, you know. Um, Kerrigan was my guy because we always played on the same side. So, you know, I've right. had, like, the big relationship with Kerrigan because we had to be on the same page when it came to our pass rush games. And he didn't really say much, but he just led by example, you know what I mean? Um, London Fletcher, you know, he's one of the best players in NFL history. Hopefully he get voted into the Hall of Fame soon because he has better numbers than uh, a lot of Hall of Fame yeah. lines, um, right now. Um, being able to see him and um, Santana Moss, you know, I had a really good relationship with Santana and, and D'Angelo Hall. Um, and then all the guys on my defensive line, you know, because when I came in, um, the guys I really looked up to was Barry Cofield and mm. Bowen. So, um, you know, I've, I've, I had a number of good teammates while I was there in Washington um that I that I looked up to that I still keep in contact with and um it, it, it was definitely fun. Is there a favorite play for you that stands out memory? Um there are a couple of plays. Obviously the, the Nick Foles hit always stands out because no one ever lets me forget about it. <laughs> uh, it always pops up on Twitter at sometimes somebody yes, somebody's either showing the hit or they're showing Jason Peters coming after me. So I, I can never uh let that play down. Um what do you remember about that play? Did you – what do you remember about that play? Well, I remember pass rush, and I almost had a sack on that play, and I fell down. And as I got up, I thought I thought Breland um, intercepted the pass. So as I got up, you always are taught to, you know, block the nearest person. And, and if you could see, like, the whole thing happen on film, right. like I got up, I looked around, and as Breland is coming my way, I see the quarterback jogging that way. So – if Breland breaks that tackle when he got tackled, the next person to tackle him was Nick Foles. Right. So 
I just did what I was naturally taught to do. And I, I literally, like, people feel like I went out my way to hit this guy. I took two steps and just put my shoulder right. to him. I didn't really hit him, hit him. You know what I mean? Like, if I really wanted to hit him, I could have, like, really, like, <laughs> but I just threw my shoulder into him because he, he wasn't expecting it or didn't see me. He fell, he fell awkward, but it didn't even take him out of the game. But I could have put a hit on him that took him out. You know what I mean? But I really didn't. Um, it just looked a lot worse uh, than what the hit was really um, than what I really did. But you know, it, it was a great fight afterwards. You know, that was, I never thought in my wildest dreams I would be involved in an actual fight in the NFL. So you know, that was crazy. Did you ever say anything much to Jason Peters beyond that? Yeah, man. After that, we became cool, man. Like every time I see him, we would just say what's up, and it was a, you know a couple of times within office of D line play. You know, he had me on my heels one time and he ain't dumped me. So he looked at me and was like, remember that, big? I was like, no, I got you, bro. You, you, you good in my book, you know, you know what I mean? So me and JPP have been good, man. He, he, he's, he's one of the greatest offensive tackles in the game, but um, we don't have any bad blood between each other. You still, are you, you still talk to Terrence a lot? Are you guys still tight? I saw you just got hired by Carolina. Yeah, that's my best friend, and I'm so happy that he, he got a chance to get back into the NFL. Um, as a coach, you know, he's been doing really good things at Wagner. Um, all the guys who he coached has um, gotten a professional career, you know, after um, taking out their, his coaching. You know, he got a guy that just won the Super Bowl, Cam. Um, and uh, I think a couple guys signed to the CFL. They're either in the CFL or the NFL roster. So that's a big testament to his coaching and his knowledge of the game. So hopefully he could come into uh, Carolina and um, things – go the same way you know he's he's played i don't know how many years he plays six eight years or whatever so you know you have all the knowledge that you gathered throughout playing your whole life and through the nfl and hopefully the players um gravitate to him which i'm sure they will because he's you know he's just a cool guy everybody likes hearing so yeah he, he was i that was a fun year to cover you guys when you got when in 2015 with the you know you get the going to the nats games there was a camaraderie there that that was a lot of fun to be around it was like a childhood dream come true because me and Terrence grew up as kids, you know what I mean? And uh, Terrence didn't really get big until after high school. You know, he was a tight end in, in, in high school and he hit a growth spurt um, going into his junior or senior year when he finally got some height because I was always bigger and taller than Terrence. And then um, I believe going into his senior year that summer, he just grew because we were playing basketball all the time and it was like one week Terrence grew like it felt like three or four inches, and then he was dunking out of nowhere. You know, <laughs> and then um, and then he went to college and went to Temple, became a captain, and you know everything just took off for him. Um, people still call you Swaggy all the time. You like that still? <laughs> I love it, man. You know, Millie Rock on any block. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Well, you know, it's funny because one of my favorite memories was that cold tub interview that I did for Sports Center, which people there still talk about. So I really, really, and I remember when I went to set up, I'm like, there's one guy that I know is going to be perfect for this, for me to talk to, which of course was you. But the other part of that was because I had to stay in there. If you remember that our cameraman forgot to take, like he did something, he either didn't take the lens off or there was something where it's like, we had to shoot it again. I was in that cold tub for about five or six minutes. And then I had to go back in later for like two minutes to do a sports center hit. Later at like, this is like six o'clock. So 1130 at night, I tweeted out something about how my toes were still numb. And of course I got called, got called the P word by people. And I'm like, 
man, I can't help it. But then I told Kerrigan the next day goes, well, yeah, that's why we always put something on our toes. when We go in there like, well, now you tell me, but they, yeah, it was, a lot of times, a lot of times guys do go in there with socks, but I was dealing with turp toe sometimes. So I would take, I would take it off so I could get all the ice and uh, information out of it. But yeah, it, it, your, your feet is like the last thing. Yeah. That. <laughs> it was, but it was a lot of fun. And it was also a 97 degree day. So I felt very cool afterwards. So that was, that was also good. So, Chris, I love talking to you, and I appreciate you coming on. You got anything else you want to add? You want any, anything else you want people to know about what's going on with you right now? Nothing um, other than what I've talked about already. You know, I'm just enjoying my retirement um, and looking forward to the next stage in life. Um, obviously, with my logistics company, hopefully I can get some uh, logistics lanes um, delivering food and, and, and other beverages and things to FedEx build and there you some go. Good contact down there, you know, it, it would be a dream come true to, you know, really, you know, especially as a player, when, you, when you're given a franchise, all that you had, if you have an opportunity and a, and, a, and a successful business, you will hope in return and they will help you, you know, um, be successful in the business world too. So hopefully I could uh, reach out to some of the sponsors um, for the Washington football team and and see what I can do from a logistics standpoint to um, help the team out, you know, because every single day, uh, whether it's at the practice facility or if it's at a game, there's trucks coming there and, and from um, yeah. every yep. day, whether it's delivering equipment, whether it's delivering food or beverages, there's always something that's getting delivered to an NFL stadium uh, or uh, NFL practice facility. So hopefully I could tap into some of those relationships and, and it'll help my business grow. Well, there you go. Good luck with that. And thank you so much for coming on. Like I said, it was great catching up with you. Always enjoyed talking to you in the locker room and, and wherever. Just always a lot of fun. So thanks a lot, Chris. I appreciate it, John. Anytime. That's it for this episode. Thanks to Chris Baker for joining me. And thank you, as always, for listening. I'll be back with another episode Monday when I'll be looking at a lot of players in the draft with analyst Jordan Reed. Check him out on Twitter. He's good, folks. Talk to you next time.